Let's do this. Um, I, I do want to say, too, that when we discuss these things on Sunday mornings, it's not a placeholder. It's not a time taker upper for us. We want to be taught by each other. We, we, we mean it when we say we disciple each other, we pastor each other, all of us. And so to hear from Gray or from Maven or Riley is important to all of us and needs to be. To hear from Manny needs to be something that teaches us. And so when we do this, that's, that's why we do. Okay, And it's, it's not a, it's, again, it's not a, an intro to something. It's so that we can practice learning from each other. And so I just want that to be clear again. I know, I hope we know that, and I think we do, but we just need to remember it. Um, and so we're going to stay in Psalms, though, today, and we're going to be in Psalm 2. <clears throat> um, I, I will say, it has been an interesting round of reading for me in Psalm 2, because, and I'll get into it <clears throat> before I read it, <clears throat> depending, <clears throat> excuse me, depending on where you land theologically with like a Messiah or where you land with um, like what this psalm is written for, it has different meanings, right? And even is interpreted different if you're um, a, a, a rabbi that doesn't think the Messiah has come or if you're a Messianic rabbi or if you're an American Christian person, Protestant, or Lutheran, for example, one really great commentary I, I read kind of came from that point, but they're different. And so I kind of want to point out a few of those differences because they matter. Not just to, again, fill space, not to be uh, too whatever about the psalm, but it is important, and I think it matters to, to notice the differences and to know that they're important for us to notice in this one psalm, okay? So I'm, I'm going to read it for us, um, and it's a short one. And again, it's Psalm 2, and it says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Now, that word's going to be important. The against his anointed is a big deal depending on where the commentary person or the thinker or the singer even of this psalm lands on what that could mean. Okay, So it meant something to the people that were writing it and singing it, that many years ago, it meant something else when it was reinterpreted when Jesus came along, and then it's obviously going to mean something else 2,000 years later to like some thinker in a Lutheran seminary, right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to mean, it's going to be interpreted differently a little bit as we go. So that's, that's going to be one of the points, okay? This, this anointed word, okay? And then we're going to keep going. Um, <clears throat> Let us burst their bonds apart. And this, again, are are the kings uh, talking, the kings and rulers. And it's basically the powerful of their culture. The powerful are saying, let's burst their bonds. Let's take them apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in God's wrath and terrify them in God's fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree, the Lord said to me. You are my son. This is another part. Today I have begotten you. This is another part of this. As for me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possessions. You shall break them with the rod of iron and dash them into pieces like the potter's vessel. 
Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. And this next phrase is also going to be a big one. Kiss the sun, lest the sun be angry and you perish in the way. For the sun's wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. Okay? So we're going to kind of break down a few parts and then re-look at it holistically at the end, um, if I can. We're trying to figure that out, even as of like, ugh, trying. Um, <clears throat> so it says this, Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let's burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. So this word anointed, um, if you're in that time, and you're singing that song or hearing that poetry said to you in, the, in like a place like this, who is the Lord's anointed to you? It's the king of your country, right? That's, that's who the Lord's anointed is to them, right? More than likely David. It's, it's David they're talking about. The Lord has anointed David to rule with justice, with mercy, with humility, with, with all of this goodness, this God's own heart kind of person that David is at this time. And so the Lord's anointed would be the king, the, the person that actually physically was anointed by a prophet with oil and then said, you get to rule. And he said, okay, and then didn't get to for a while and then got to and did pretty good for a while and then didn't, you know, and then came back and did okay and then had a family in chaos, right? That's, that's the Lord's anointed to them right? Now, this is a psalm that gets reinterpreted often, though, because of the rest of the language in the psalm, to be this, this thing that mattered then to those people, right? So not taking away from that interpretation and that thought when they were all singing that song, but it would also be a prophecy, right, for who? Jesus, right? The Messiah coming. This other Lord's anointed, and we get that language later that talks about, you are my son, I've begotten you, right? And we, we say, oh, we know that language in 2023 because of Vacation Bible School and the only begotten son and whosoever believes in it, right? We, we, we have that and that's where our brain goes. But the important thing to remember is that's not where their brain would go. And that's okay, right? And it's okay that our brain does go there because it's now. We're not sitting in a temple or a tabernacle, I think tabernacle at this time, singing this song together, thinking about our king, right? We don't have that. We don't have any bit of culture that would even support that for us. We don't know what that's like. But we do know what it's like to have the powerful people rage against the ways of God. And we definitely know what it's like to either support their cause or hope to deny it, right? I know Holly talked a few weeks ago about um, her trip to the Capitol. Wherever you land on rights of that, wherever you think, whatever you think about that reason, to go and be a part of that is, is to go and say to the powerful that want to break God's bonds and burst his cords, or burst his bonds, break the cords, whichever one it says in this, you know, one. But to go and say, no, 
I want different than that. I don't want that to come to us. We know what that's like. We know what it's like to hope that something that happens in Ukraine today could never happen to your children or your parents or your family, right? We know what that's like. We know what it's like to hope that Somalia would never happen to my children and my grandfather or my this, right? We know what injustice looks like. It's funny, we, we think a lot of times, or our Christian subculture, because we don't experience injustice like the rest of the world. We still do, but we don't experience it as viscerally as the rest of the world. We think that this wickedness they're trying to do is just like personal sin issue things, right? That They're like cursing too much, or they're like cheating on their taxes, or they're gossipy people, or whatever, right? But, but the, the actuality is, is all through this Old Testament portion that this writer would be talking about are, are grave injustices that extend from the top and from power all the way down. It's this idea of, of um, a good example, Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Um, it, it experiences this fiery end, right? And Sodom and Gomorrah, because of our day, and because, again, we don't experience the injustice of that, we we think that's because of some sexual perversion, right? That's what it's always been taught to us. But everywhere in Psalms that we hear about Sodom and Gomorrah is always because they were awful to the refugee. That's why God said, you need to be punished. Because you use your power to oppress them. You... You, even in the st- one story we have, they want to rape the refugee. They want to hurt the refugee. They want to do all these things that are harmful to keep people out and to keep the powerless people powerless, right? And Psalms is super clear on that. It's like very obvious that that's why God was angry with these two cities, with these twin cities, right? And so this injustice, this breaking the cords of God's organized way of this it's not a kingdom of heaven at hand yet, but God's way and rule on the earth, this blessed to be a blessing, the powerful are to then extend blessing to the world, is perverted here, and the people want to do it. And God says, no, no, no. You think you have the power to do that, but there are going to be anointed ones that will, will attempt to stop you. There will be anointed ones and God calls them God's children, right? That he begets, that he like bestows childness on, like parenting on. It says those will be the ones, right? So let's keep reading. And it keeps going. It says, um, God who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then God will speak to them in his wrath and his terror and say, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree, the Lord says, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And so it's this idea of of this group of powerful people trying to set up a new order, right? An, An abusive, perverted way of like God's hopes and dreams for the world, right? This idea of blessed to be a blessing, the whole idea of relationship with people, the whole idea of give justice to all that, that we were given, right, through Abraham, and they're trying to change that and ruin that. And in the story, again, you have this, I have set my anointed one to stop that. Again, who is that in this story? At their time, it's the king, right? The king David, God is anointed and said, I am treating you as son. This idea of begotten is a tricky, a tricky thing. And I went down a weird rabbit hole with what that would mean, and I don't know Hebrew at all. 
right? I don't, they don't look like letters. It's, it's backwards. There's markings that mean it's a vowel sound. I don't, I have no clue. So I was trying to read different people and what they were saying. And this word begotten is tricky because it doesn't, it doesn't mean birthed, right? It doesn't mean parented or fathered as in um, God birthed out a child. That's, that's not the intention. This begottenness that it's talking about here, not, not in the New Testament, not any of that, is supposedly this mix of idea of like adoption or, um, and this is a, again a tricky thing, almost like the promotion, promotion's a bad word, um, the familyizing a slave to your child. It's like if you, you have a slave that has, has to work for you and has to do things for you, and then you say, oh, no, no, you're not a slave. No, we don't do slave. We do, you're in my family now. Take my name. Be my child, right? So that's one way to look at it. And then the other one would be like adopting and saying, you, have, you had no part of my body. You, had, you didn't have a way with me in the beginning, but now you, you, I'm your father, right? I'm taking on parentalness of you, right? More than rights, because it's, it's different. It's like a love instead of just like you have a responsibility to them, right? So this idea, again, at the time, would be the king. Later, would be retranslated as a prophecy for a Messiah, right? As Jesus being God's son. Jesus says that that's what Jesus is, right? Then, though, too, we hear later, that we are sons and daughters of God, right? There is no longer slave or free, but there are only children. There are only family, right? That's, that's what it is now. And so it's this, this growing idea in the psalm that we should allow to grow with us and say, this also, yes, is talking about David and the next king and the next king and the next king but it would also be the Messiah who would gift that right to us. So now we would get to be the begotten. We would get to be the ones that stop the kings and the powers from doing what they want to do. We would get to stop them from injustice. We would get to oppose them in their like, uh, perversion of the law and perversion of greed and, and perversion of, of false humility and for, for all the things that we see in our world that are ugly and detestable. We get to be the ones that say, oh, no, no, you don't get to do that. You have someone that can come against you. In fact, we are the ones that are going to come against you. That's, that's the beauty of, of this passage today, is that we get to be the actual, we say this all the time, and it sounds like such a spiritual thing to say, it's like hands and feet of Jesus idea that we say all the time, but legitimately, that's what's here and available. That's the plan. That, that's the intention the entire time. And so that's us. We, we get to stand against injustices and against casting people to the side and against non-inclusion. All the things, we stand against that because we are the begotten's. We are the sons and daughters of, of this Lord, right, that gets to stand against these kings and rulers. And so we keep going, and it says, um, you're my son, today I have begotten you, 
as of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with the iron rod and dash them into pieces like a potter's vessel. I'll just say, this is an aside, and I don't want to stay on this very long. We, as some weird reason, as a Christian subculture, for some reason, we treat that kind of language like it means we get to be in power. Like, we will break this with iron. We will take this as our heritage. We will be, we act like that is a right for us to seize power and then do the same things that the kings and nations do. That is not it. It just says we will break injustice and we will do that in a necessary way. That we will take on this breaking God's bonds and, and bursting God's like rule and reign on the world and we will attack that and, and do that as is our job to do in a different way, okay? So that's not a, you get all the inheritance now, right? We get all the wealth, power, and whatever else. America, right? That's not the intention of that statement. Do you know what I'm saying? It doesn't mean that. Just saying. We don't... We want to make sure we don't want to dash people to pieces like a potter's vessel. It says, serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling, something we've completely lost, I believe. And then this next verse, important for us. It says, kiss the sun, lest the sun be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. Kiss the sun. This again is a tricky one. So I'll just say, I couldn't find a Jewish commentary that translated that kiss the sun. Not a single one who would like read from the Hebrew and do that. That I, that had, that I had looked at before. I shouldn't say not a single one. I'm sure there's, there's thousands and thousands. So I'm sure there is one, right? But any of them I read... Anytime I look at an Old Testament thing, none of them say that's how that's translated. None of them. Um, partly because of the, the word for sun that they use, which is bar, I think. Something like bar. Um, but then also, this idea of kissing. Um, th- that word isn't translated as kissing hardly ever. Um, the idea, they say, so a lot of translations would be bind yourself to purity, is what they would say. Um, which is very different than kiss the sun when you just say it in English, right? Bind yourself to purity and kiss the sun, those are pretty different. Except, except, this idea of binding is an image, is, is this image from, a lot of times would be an image from a farmer. So it would be an image from a farmer that would mean uh, if, if you're like um, uh, harvesting wheat back in the day, you would have wheat and you know what chaff is, right? We know what chaff is. It's like the non-usable part of a wheat stalk, a stem, plant. We're going with stalk. I like that. So that's the part of the stalk you're not going to eat. You're not going to use it. It's no good, you know. But to separate them is difficult. It's a process, right? They didn't have like a cool computerized tractor that would like split them apart. So they would, they would throw it in the air in a place where, so they'd like have a barn, Barn, I don't even know what that would call it. I didn't read enough, apparently. So, barn thing, and they would have two open ends, and air would go through, and they'd have to wait for there to be circulation. 
and you'd throw it in the air, like all of it together. The wheat's heavy, it would fall down. The chaff would blow away, right? We have, we've, have other images of this, like just like the chaff that blows away with the wind, so are, you know, all these things. So they would have to do that for hours and hours and hours and hours to get edible wheat. And so this image, this image of bind or kiss, is the image of chaff and wheat not wanting to be separated. So it's, it's this idea of them holding together as hard as they can. They don't, the chaff doesn't want to be blown away at the wind. It's growing with the wheat. It is birthed the wheat, right, in itself. As if, think about it even cheesier. Like, it is the reason that wheat has come forth. It is the parent of the wheat, the grains, right? And so this idea is that we should, in fact, bind ourselves to this anointed or to the Lord or to purity. The pure one is more what it's saying, not just purity as an ideal, like wheat and chaff bind together. It's saying, hold fast as hard as possible to what brought you, right? This idea of the anointed being one that's come up like wheat and chaff and has been birthed from the chaff, which is this beautiful image that I love. And it's saying, bind yourself to that, which is very different than kiss the sun, except when you think about what kissing a sun means, it's like a closeness, right? It's like a binding of you are touching your child with, with your lips. It's a very intimate thing to do, right? That's, that's a, a beautiful thing if your kid wants to give you a kiss. It's just the most beautiful, sweet thing in the whole world, right? That's what that's referring to. And so when we translate it, kiss the sun, the idea they're trying to get across is bind yourself wholeheartedly with everything you have to the reason purity exists. Bind yourself as fast as you can, as hard as you can, like from the very beginning, as if you're kissing your child to God and God's anointed. That's the idea. And so we take these things and we take the chapter as a whole and we look at those discrepancies, not discrepancies, we look at those interpretations that are different, right? And that are hard, for, for me, they've been hard. And we look at it as a whole. And we see some poetry or a song or a, a lesson for the community, for the nation, for the culture. It says, look, around us, everywhere people are plotting to get ahead. Everywhere, people want to have power over others. They want to win at all costs. And they take this idea of winning too far and they want to break God's laws and break God's bonds and just say justice is what they will create and they will decide who deserves it and who doesn't. And they will be the ones who plot and scheme and want power and all the wealth and all the everything and it's going to be at the cost of all of the weak, right? And then we go further and it says, however, God laughs at the idea because he has anointed some to change it. He has anointed some to say, no, as messy as it may be to figure out what justice really is or what humility looks like in a person or what walking humbly with God looks like, like on the board right outside there, if that's a lobby, the lobby, whatever that is, we will do it. 
we may be wrong when we stand against. Hopefully, we're not when we stand against. But we will stand against what looks like people plotting against justice, against mercy, against faithfulness and humility. And we'll fight against it with everything. We'll fight against it in every water cooler conversation. We'll fight against it in the way we parent. We'll fight against it in the way we love each other deeply and sacrifice for each other and create a culture for that. And then it goes on to say, and in fact, the only way you can do that is if you bind yourself to the one who is actually pure. If you kiss the sun, if you just, if you hold yourself like chaff to wheat grains and don't want to be separated to the fact that it takes so much work to remove you from that, that's what the psalmist wants us to be and wants us to do. And to think we can fight against injustice and we can do those things and do this in a kingdom way, in a loving way, without holding fast to the one whose pure is, is God says, or you won't make it. The psalmist says you can't do it without that. So, so as a, a father and a son have a sweet moment with a kiss, do, do live that way with the kingdom of heaven that's at hand. Do that way with Jesus' self. Do that way with your God. Do, live that. And that's, that's the, what's so interesting about this psalm is that this flow is so beautiful. This song that they would sing as a community is beautiful because they say, look what, look what the world wants to do. Look what the powerful want to do. Look who God asked to stop them. And look how we get to stop them. That is exciting for us. And could be a very, very beautiful thing as we attempt to live the kingdom of heaven at hand in this world. And so what we're going to do, we're going to pray together. And we're going to enter our time of communion. But I, I just want us, maybe, maybe it's, maybe you need to hear that you are in fact a son or daughter of God's self. God loves you. And doesn't just tolerate you. But has a way for you to take God's love and power and enjoyment and justice to the world. You, specifically you. And then maybe, too, it's this idea of it's not bringing me joy and it's not happening or it's not this because, honestly, I don't hold fast to God's self. I, I do not, it, I would not be considered chaff and wheat. I would not be considered this intimate kiss of a father and son in the way we treat God's presence, in the way we treat Jesus' self, the way we treat the kingdom of heaven, the Holy Spirit around us all the time. Maybe, maybe that's it. But whatever it is, as I'm praying, just pray about that if you would like. And then we're going to have a time of communion. So um, we're going to do a liturgy of response, and then we're going to say the Lord's Prayer together. And then when we're done, we're going to sing two more songs, and communion cups are up here. And then we have some gluten-free packets of communion if you need them. And then just enjoy communion wherever in those two songs, um, and then we'll continue. Does that make sense? All right, let's stand together.